from Car Rigs and Ingram, this is It Figures, the CRI podcast, an accounting, advisory, and industry-focused podcast for business and organization leaders, entrepreneurs, and anyone who is looking to go beyond the status quo. I'm Doug Mims. I'm a financial institutions partner in the Atlanta office of Car Rigs and Ingram. And I'm here today to, to speak with Chris Kane from our Birmingham office regarding the FDICIA, the FDIC Improvement Act. And I, with that, I will let Chris introduce himself and his subject. Yeah, thanks, Doug. Uh, hello, everyone. It's Chris Kane. I'm a financial institution partner in the Birmingham office. It's great to be with you. And uh, we have an important topic today to discuss, which is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation Improvement Act. Uh, commonly known as FDICIA, uh, that was implemented in 1991 by Congress. And the reason for that was uh, was the savings and loan crisis during the 1980s. In the 80s, there was a lot of uh, bank failures, and because of that, uh, Congress enacted FDICIA to uh, respond to those issues. And then part of those requirements of the FDIC is laid out in Part 363 uh, of FDIC's laws and regulations. So, Chris, you know, obviously the FDIC Improvement Act was 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 passed in in response to the SNL crisis. And gosh, I can remember uh, been around a while, but I can remember the the FDIC the FDICIA guide that was issued uh, that we used back in 1991 when we were doing doing bank audits. But why is FDICIA still, you know, still top of mind? Why is it relevant? Why, why is it important for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've been working with financial institutions 20 years. Uh, so been dealing with a lot of institutions with uh, FDICIA. And I think why it's really relevant right now is, as you know, there have been a lot of bank mergers and acquisitions. So because of that, uh, banks have grown in asset size. Uh, so they may not be familiar with these requirements. Also, uh, I think uh, bankers sometimes don't understand all the requirements or the complexity uh, of FDICIA. So um, I think that's why it's relevant today. And clearly, uh, I have clients that still have issues with uh, complying with the requirements. Okay. So there, there's two thresholds to the FDIC Improvement Act and, and, and the 363 requirements. There's there's the $500 million threshold and then there's the billion. So maybe we talk about first, what are the key aspects of the requirements for banks that are over a half a billion, but under a billion in assets? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, before we go into those requirements, let's talk about what's the measurement point, because I get that question from my clients quite a bit. Uh, What is the measurement point for uh, the total assets? So uh, what I like to say for a a fiscal year financial institution that's also a calendar year, you would start by looking at your 1231, your year-end call report, and generally that would be your beginning of year for your fiscal year uh, total assets. So the measurement point is the beginning of year uh, total assets, and that what is what drives FDICIA. So let's talk about, now that we've determined the measurement point, let's talk about uh, the $500 million and the billion dollar requirements and kind of compare and contrast those. So at the $500 million threshold, the majority of the audit committee members must be independent of management. So those are uh, outside directors. 
Uh, at the billion dollar threshold, all of the audit committee members must be independent of management or outside directors. Uh, also at the $500 million threshold, bank management, that's generally the CEO and CFO, or could be the chief accounting officer, is required to provide a statement of responsibilities for preparing the financial statements um, and establishing an appropriate internal control structure as well as complying with designated laws and regulations. Those designated laws and regulations pertain really to uh, inside loans, uh, insider loans, Reg O uh, is what it's commonly referred to, as well as dividend restrictions. Uh, also at the $500 million threshold, the external audit firm must be independent um, with regard to the AICPA independent standards, as well as the Securities and Exchange Commission or the SEC, as well as the PCAOB. Uh, and that's something that we see uh, financial institutions sometimes not understand and need to discuss with their external auditors. So one issue that we see here is uh, for a $500 million institution, uh, your external audit firm may be preparing your financial statements as well as the tax accrual. Uh, and under um, SEC, PCAOB standards, independent standards, which are more restrictive, uh, you cannot provide those services. So it's really important uh, to have the bank uh, and the bank management team discuss and monitor the asset size to ensure uh, they get with the external audit firm. So, so as a point of clarification for the listener, the, the independence rules under the FDIC Improvement Act in Part 363, they say follow the most restrictive guidance. That's correct. And so when you look at that, then the most restrictive guidance typically is going to be your public company guidance. And that's that's the PCOB reference and, um, and SEC reference in, in the uh, description. Absolutely. Okay. So um, let's talk a little bit about now the billion dollar threshold. And as I mentioned earlier, all of the audit committee members must be independent of management. Um, still bank management, the CEO and CFO uh, is required to provide a statement. But here, uh, not only are they required to provide a statement, but they also may, must make an assessment of the effectiveness of internal controls over financial reporting, ICFR, as of the physical year end. So that's something uh, different at the billion dollar threshold, as well as uh, the independent auditors, the external auditors must issue a report on internal controls over financial reporting and also must still comply with the independent standards, as you mentioned earlier. So the, when you're comparing, you know, if you're over half a billion and as you approach the billion dollar mark, the, the first the first uh, threshold, if you will, is now your whole audit committee has to be independent. You can't have anybody that, that's a member of bank management on the audit committee, correct? That's correct. And then the, the other statements of responsibility regarding financial statements and, and compliance with designated laws and regs, that remains the same. Absolutely. And then, and then you're, you, but the big, the big difference being you, you now have to uh, attest to the, the effectiveness of, of your ICFR and you have to have your accountants per, perform a, uh, provide an opinion on that. Absolutely. So when, when you look at, uh, when, when, when you've worked with banks that are over a billion, what are some of the challenges that they face as they approach that billion dollar mark that maybe they didn't have as, as a bank, you know, a $750 million bank? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question, Doug, and one that I get frequently uh, from bankers. And the first thing I say is 
monitor your asset size because uh, bankers tend to underestimate the amount of time to implement Fiducia because it doesn't take uh, months. It can take a year or two is what we tell our clients for implementation. So uh, monitoring asset size is important. Also, it's uh, really important to develop an action plan with uh, key benchmarks, deadlines, as well as uh, get the external auditor involved uh, earlier in the process, as well as uh, schedule a meeting with the audit committee to discuss the requirements because sometimes audit committees may not uh, know the requirements. And then communication, communication, communication. Uh, as we all know, communication is really important uh, in banks and also really important for a successful uh, fiducia implementation. So all business owners, stakeholders uh, need to get buy-in. So we recommend having a meeting uh, with those folks and get their buy-in and get them on board early in the process to ensure uh, an effective implementation. Uh, and then also to understand that uh, controls may not be effective when you first uh, test them. And uh, that's something that I know uh, my clients have struggled with uh, as part of implementation. And we like to say that, um, you know, probably uh, as many as 25% of the controls may not be effective the first time. And I think the reason, Doug, for that is uh, the error rates. Uh, if we were to select a sample of 30, uh, that you could, the bank could have one error in 30, but no more, uh, which is darn near perfect. So I know when I'm talking to bankers and they say, hey, we did really well. We had two or three errors out of 30. Well, uh, in this world, you fail. So uh, we, I just understand that controls uh, may not be effective and require rem remediation, and that can be time consuming. Uh, and then also um, ask for assistance uh, of a third party professional services firm, very much like Car Riggs and Ingram. Uh, ask for help. We have templates and um, action plans that we've used in helping a number of financial institutions. So we'd love the opportunity to help um, bankers with fiducia implementation. So thanks so much. Okay, Chris, well, thank you today for giving us an overview of Fiducia. And uh, obviously, CRI stands ready to help both our clients and, and prospects. So uh, thank you all for joining us today. If you want more CRI insights or are interested in learning about our firm, please visit our website at CRICPA.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of It Figures, the CRI podcast. You can subscribe to It Figures on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. 